0: Welcome to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. This special series features some of Milwaukee's most distinguished leaders. They'll share how they overcame challenges, developed their skills, and achieved success, so you can gain insight and inspiration. And now, Leadership is in Session.
1: Welcome, everybody. I am Becky Dubin Jenkins from Athena Communications, and today I have the honor and privilege of hosting my friend, my colleague, all-around awesome person, Catherine Nipstein, also from Team Athena, our vice president for strategy. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks, Becky, and right back at you, fellow rock star. And today, what you are bringing to us is your thoughts about why words matter, how we use our messages to fight what you're going to tell us about today in your words and others, the infodemic. So, talk to us, Catherine, set the stage for us. Why do words matter to you? Yeah, thanks, Becky. I, and words do
0: matter to me. For most of my life, honestly, you know, even as a kid, I always kind of thought, honestly the foundation of my academic career my education has always been writing words you know as a us history major in undergrad i went on to get a masters in communications and pr and so obviously that the foundation of that academic background is is writing and words my career i feel like i owe to writing, you know, I'm a public relations practitioner or communications consultant and that's really all built on messaging. On the personal side, you know, I have a 4-year-old daughter whose formative years during the pandemic, you know, she was at home with her father and I for a solid year and a half with no other social interaction and so now she struggles with her speech. I'm hyper aware of her words. Everything she utters, you know, how many words can she say? Has she added a new word today? Is she using those words appropriately? Is she just echoing what she hears Elmo say on Sesame Street or what she reads in her books? Are her words or lack thereof indicative of neurodivergence or autism? You know, what words are being used to describe her and how will that affect her future? So words definitely matter to me and have for a long time.
1: And you talk a little bit about your education, your background. At what point do you think you realize, you know what, I'm going to take this learning, this expertise, and I am going to translate this into a career?
0: I had a really great boss and mentor. I worked at a trade association in Washington, D.C., and I was a financial policy regulatory analyst. So it was my job to read these really long, dry, complicated financial regulations and then condense them down to, boil them down to kind of their essence, present that to our membership, and then work with them to develop a policy response and then draft the comment letter in response. But it was really, so that was a lot of research and writing and pouring through these very complicated, dry regulations to find the essence of that. But my boss one day, this was during the, kind of the housing crisis, 2007, 2008. And this great boss I had one day, he calls me in. It's a Friday. He's like, I've got great news for you. We want you to be like our consumer compliance guru. In, in financial regulation, there are basically two sides. There's safety and soundness, which is, you know, is a bank fit to function? Is it fit to operate? Does it have money in the bank to continue to do its business? Is it doing that in a safe and sound way versus the compliance side? where, how are they treating their consumers? Are they cheating their consumers? Are they redlining? You know, things like that. And he said, we want you, you know, we're, we're reorganizing, we're expanding. We'd love for you to be our consumer compliance lead. What do you think? And I go, oh man, I'd rather cut my foot off. It's so terrible. <laughs> and instead of being like, you ungrateful little so-and-so, you're not, you know, you're not even 30 years old yet. Get out. To his credit, he kind of stopped said, okay, well, what do you want to do then? Like here, I'm giving you this great career path. And I said, our issue's on the front page of every paper in the world right now. And no one's calling us to get our advice or our take on this. I want to do PR. And again, to his credit, he said, okay, have something on my desk on Monday morning. So I called another dear friend and mentor and said, I need to take you to brunch. Who she owned her own PR firm at the time and still does. You know, I presented her I, all day Saturday. I worked on this proposal, and then I presented it to her on Sunday. over brunch, and she gave me feedback, gave it to my boss on Monday. He said, okay, let's go. So I was really fortunate to have supportive mentors who listened to me and guided me and really propelled me forward in my career. I'm very blessed.
1: That's a fantastic story that I did not know, Catherine. Thanks for sharing that, and I want to go back to one element you lifted you talked about the fact that you were responsible for taking technical information and distilling it down for a non-technical audience you also talk a lot about on a daily basis with our team with our clients about writing tight the idea of write tight why is that
0: important Write tight is my mantra. And, and first of all, that audience in that association was much more sophisticated than I was. They could follow that, that technical speech. I didn't have the background. And so I kind of figured, boy, if I can understand what I've just written, anyone can, because I didn't have a clue. My audience did. So yeah, write tight It is like my personal mantra, especially when it comes to creating messaging. George Orwell, who's probably best known for his novels, Animal Farm, 1984, He also wrote just a ton of nonfictional works, books and essays, and all of these kind of non-fictional works. He was really passionate about exposing and trying to rectify injustices that he saw were being committed by governments and the elite against the less fortunate classes of society. And I specifically want to mention an essay he wrote in 1946 called Politics and the English Language Following World War II. Propaganda as we know it, emerged during World War II. The Nazi machine had spread its gospel of violence to acquire, maintain power. Their propaganda machine was integral in committing some of the, the most horrific atrocities this world has ever seen. Their minister of armaments and war production, Albert Speer, said at the Nuremberg trials, you know, what distinguished the Third Reich from all previous dictatorships was its use of all the means of communication to sustain itself and to deprive, deprive its objects of the power of independent thought. And Orwell's essay is really a response to what he viewed as the worrisome trend of using language to deliberately mislead the public and conceal facts from the public. Use all this complicated, overly flowery language. Write tight. Be very simple. When you can use a one-syllable word, do so. Your sentences should be very short and concise. And that way, everyone understands what you're saying. It's a lot harder to do that. You know, it's a lot easier. Our, our brain kind of works in this long-winded way, as you can see from my long-winded answer to this very simple question. But yes, write tight. So when you're crafting those messages, those words, when you're choosing words, I always try to defer to the simpler, shorter, clearer word. And one kind of other anecdote that I always keep in mind, I loved that movie, A River Runs Through It, and there's this scene when the oldest son, he's a little boy, and he's doing homework, and he's bringing it to his father. Tom Scarrett plays his father, and he's written an essay or something, and the, you know, the dad pulls out the red pencil and marks through half of it and hands him his paper back, and he says, again, half is long. And he has to rewrite the thing, and every time his dad just says, again, half is long. And I had a professor in grad school who was very much the same way. She's, and she was terrific. She really taught me how to write, and she said, "You know, it was kind of that again, half as long. What you've said here in the six hundred word essay, you could say in a hundred words. So I try to remember that and keep that in mind.
1: Write tight. Thanks for sharing that anecdote. I fully agree with you. I think we have all lived through those experiences where you've written something, you've put something down, it comes back, you're horrified. It is marked up to the high heavens with red pen, even both of us as word experts, as wordsmiths, as people who do this for a living, we both still go through that. I want to go back to something that you lifted. You talked about the Nazi machine and how they used words, how they used words to their advantage, to their power. Can you share a little bit with us your thoughts about, we're calling the infodemic?
0: Yeah, you didn't know we'd be talking about Nazis today, did you? Gosh, that's always pretty jarring. It's a jarring word. Words matter. And that's just, that's one of those words that is kind of visceral. Yeah, I think with the infodemic, and this has been something that has, it's been concerning me for several years now. I think it concerns a lot of us. If it doesn't fit in with our belief system, we just dismiss it these days. Here we are in this information age at our fingertips, you know, unlike any other time in history, we are just. Inundated with information. And it's wonderful. I mean, it is. There are great things about that. Our phones are incredibly complex computers and machines, and we can achieve, we can access information so quickly. I think it's becoming difficult for us perhaps to filter out what's true or not. And quite frankly, we're under attack by words. It's factual that there are bad actors, foreign and domestic that are using words to try to mislead us, to lie to us, to influence our elections, for example. It's it's a little scary, quite frankly. It's, you know, Obviously, that's kind of at one end of the spectrum. That legit, like, I mean, it has been proven foreign powers use social media to try to influence our elections. And then it kind of gets over to the other side of the spectrum, which maybe isn't so overtly or doesn't seem so overtly damaging, this dismissal of what previously would have been kind of widely agreed upon fact. And now even that is like, nope, that's not true. Things like calling news media fake media, that may seem harmless, but that sort of demonizing language that a lot of our political leaders, both sides of the aisle, are using this demonizing, vilifying language, the name calling. It's toxic. It's cancerous. It's like The pandemic, it spreads and it normalizes. And so everyday folks are taking those words in and spewing them back out. And we're saying things that, gosh, you know, if your next door neighbor believes differently than you politically, I feel pretty confident in saying that when you're engaging with them, you're very formal or at least very civil and and kind. You care about their kids. You probably respect them. And yet maybe when you get back in your house and you're like, that idiot. I can't believe they have that politician's sign in their yard. I can't believe toxicity spreads. So that's what kind of worries me And as a PR. It worries me just as a person, as an American. Definitely worries me as a public relations official. I mean, what do I say to my client? You know, we used to tell them, yeah, use the media. That's the best way to get your message out. Well, now the media... For multiple reasons, their reputation is, is in decline. It does. It concerns me both personally and professionally.
1: I want to go back to one word you use the word normalization. It has become so much the norm for so many people. And it is so disheartening when you think about that. It is just how people interact, react these days. And it is disheartening. And we are past election season for the most part. And we saw it. None of us are immune to it. None of us are immune from participating in this, myself included. You mentioned seeing perhaps a neighbor's sign, also someone who has driven by a few houses and thought, really? It's hard to separate that out of your brain because now I associate that person with something, maybe. It is not at all part of my belief system. And how do we get past that? I mean, that's a million dollar question. None of us are going to solve that today, but what are your thoughts on that?
0: It leaves such little room for discussion and compromise. I think that this is, you know, these huge issues that we're facing, the COVID pandemic, reckoning against systemic racism, and this kind of infodemic, as we're calling it. These are huge problems that we can't, you know, it can be really daunting to try to tackle them. And so similarly to those, I think it really, it starts with each one of us. It starts, great example, a political ad came on the TV here and, you know, my husband popped off and I'm like, hey, You know how we complain about the political discord? It starts with us. I can't control the whole world. I can't control what that politician says. I can't control what my neighbor says, but I can control what I say. And my kid sees that. And my husband sees that. And so then maybe that's kind of how it spreads is controlling ourselves, being deliberate about the words that we use. Again, it's always coming back to words matter personally. When I see someone or hear someone that I disagree with, how do I handle that? How am I advising my clients, our clients, to continue to craft their messaging and work towards getting their message out? And I think it just, it has to start with us, honestly.
1: To bring this full circle, I want to go back to something you lifted at the beginning. You have a young daughter. I have a daughter who's a teenager. Our behavior, our words, our responses to situations and words Set the tone and the stage for how our daughters will model their behavior. My daughter, for example, is 15 and a half and is a huge consumer of news. She comes by it honestly. We have a lot of conversations in our house about... You know, how to properly digest news, especially news presenting of facts you may not necessarily think represent who you are or what you believe in. It is such an interesting time because when we were growing up, you and I didn't have access the way our kids do. It has added such an interesting level or component of parenting that I did not expect.
0: Oh gosh, no kidding. It's a little terrifying. And so I think it's not only, because obviously we're the the example, right, every single day for our daughters. It's not only what we say, but that is important. And to that point, both what we say personally and to our clients, how we would advise our clients, Becky, as they're developing their messaging. You know, it's that simple, short messaging. It's being honest. I mean, you and I have done media training together, messaging training together, and that's always our, our number one rule. You know, when we have our do's and don'ts rule, number one is be honest. It's just that simple, If we want more honesty in the public discourse, we start with ourselves, period. Research your messages and support with both quantitative and qualitative data. You know, quantitative, the data, the stats, qualitative, the anecdotes, the testimonial, the poetry, the emotional. Go to different sources to support what you're saying, you know, educate yourself and then be authentic, true to your values. So that's kind of what we need to be careful with in our messaging that goes out But quite frankly, we need to be a little tougher and savvier about the information that we're being inundated with, about how we receive that information. And I'm just going to (laughs) kind of, right now, a bunch of us are being played. You know, we're too easily manipulated into thinking that those that think differently than we do are somehow the enemy. This is not a zero-sum game. Because you vote for a different candidate than I do, doesn't mean the other side wins. We're somehow losing I think that's contributing to that demonization, that vilifying and that, you know, leaving no room for communication and and honest dialogue and debate. So we're too eager to kind of engage in this echo chamber. We're too eager to listen only to those that are saying what we want to hear. Let's try to be a little more open and seek out the other side. And let's be a little more skeptical a healthy skepticism, not a negative, you know, overly toxic pessimism about our sources of information. I think that's really important. And then finally, honestly, you know, this is something I really respect from, from our boss, Tammy Belton Davis, founder of Athena communications. One of her core values for Athena communications is grace. This is a difficult, challenging time. A lot of us are terrified of words right now of saying the wrong thing of offending others so this does go a little bit to the like let's get a little tougher. Let's not be so quick to be offended, but at the same time, let's have grace with each other, you know, let's be cognizant that our words really can hurt people. If it's a word that's really important to someone else. What does it hurt you to use that word? You know, I'm kind of thinking of like gender pronouns for that for that example. Does it really hurt me to call someone if that's what they prefer? No. Okay. Well, let's have a little grace and think have a little empathy. But at the same time, you know, I'm not saying that we should be doormats or forgiving when someone is acting inappropriately or saying inappropriate things. We should address that. But have a little grace. When you meet someone, if you just assume that they're well intentioned and kind, I think that's going to go a long way too in trying to open up kind of honest discourse and civil discourse again.
1: Assuming best intentions something I try to keep in mind every single day. I think it is foundational to personal and professional success. So thank you for reminding us of that this morning, Catherine. So I'm going to end there. I'm going to end on a high note. Assume best intentions. We are going to extend grace to all those we meet. Thank you for bringing that to our conversation today, Catherine. And I just want to thank you for this wonderfully Insightful, interesting conversation. I love talking about these things with you. I think we could talk about this all day. Let's do this again soon. Sounds good. It's always a pleasure to chat. Becky, we don't get to do it often enough. You're right. We don't. And so again, I thank you for all of our listeners, the always brilliant Katherine Nipstein joining us from the Nashville office of Athena Communications this morning. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you, Becky.
0: Thanks for listening to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. Be sure to catch all eight enlightening episodes. And don't forget to connect to On the Edge of Equity with Tammy Belton Davis, available wherever you get your podcasts.